Hi everyone, this is Joshua Hoffman and welcome to another episode of the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast, where we deconstruct the why and how agency owners found their success and discuss a few things they learned along the way. Today I have Ren Uggerwall, the CEO of Story AZ, a content studio that helps clients strategize, write, and edit content from A to Z. Welcome, Ren. Thank you, Josh. Good to be here. And we were we were talking a little bit right before this call about your amazing bookshelf. So anyone that's not watching the video, uh, Ren might have the best bookshelf of any uh, guest that we've <laughs> had so far. And you already know. And and if anyone else listened to any other episodes, uh, they'll know that we'll get to that at the end. But where I want to jump right into is actually uh, the your past company that you started, um, which was called Mercury Three Hundred and Sixty. And to my understanding, or I guess you're actually kind of sharing some of this that it actually you got a little bit burnt out towards the end. So can you actually talk a little bit more about that and, and maybe how you think that you can avoid it in the future? Yeah. Um, you know, Mercury 360 um, was a social media management agency um, that I co-founded in 2013. And I had just come out of being CMO uh, at a SaaS company here in Silicon Valley. And um had you know faced this issue where you know, social media was really coming to B two B marketing, and we had to figure out you know how to manage it. I don't think we did it particularly well on the team, but we did the best that we could um, with all of the other priorities that we had. And so um, I started Mercury three hundred and sixty with kind of this idea uh, to create a double bottom line business, and um, what that essentially means is that. Um, we were using kind of a commercial model to also kind of hire and train folks that were overlooked in digital marketing. And um, we wanted to really kind of create opportunities for people. And so, you know, it was kind of a non-standard agency. Um, we spent a lot of time uh, not only uh, in training staff, uh, but in looking for staff that didn't fit kind of your cookie cutter, if you would, um, resume uh, from the standpoint of digital marketing. And um, so imagine that, right? So that's a backdrop. Backdrop. We're doing both training and we're kind of hiring folks that aren't digital marketers and we're marketing and selling this product, which in 2013, you know, 10 years ago, um, uh, businesses are getting used to the idea that they need to be more active on social media and they need to be uh, managing it. And so it was, it was a lot, you know, to, 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 to kind of handle, uh, and to do, um, I think we did really well. We, we had clients, we kind of grew our staff. Um, and, but, uh, it was my, um, really my first major entrepreneurial venture. And that came with, uh, a lot of things that were new to me. Um, a lot of uh, things that I had to shoulder uh, that uh, over a course of, you know, three years uh, became a lot. Did, was there a moment that you felt like, okay, this is too much. I need to make it, you know, a different move and yeah, I'll stop there. Yeah. Um, you know, I think from, you know, they say when you do a startup, right, it's like you've got these milestones. You've got a one-year, a three-year, and a five-year. And um, and that's kind of really what I was managing to. So 
we got past the one-year mark. We had staff on board. We had clients. Um, then it was time to get to the three-year mark uh, and really assess how we were doing as a business, what our growth prospects look like, um, whether our you know clients were happy with what we we're doing, whether our staff were happy, and whether you know we had more runway to kind of go. Um, so it was really at that three-year mark where kind of I took took, took stock of. Um, how hard we were running, uh, how hard I was running, how much effort I was putting into it, how much time I was taking away from family. And, you know, it's like when you start an agency for folks that have done this and you've come out of uh, the corporate side, uh, whether it's, you know, working for a corporate agency or working as I was uh, for a technology company, um, it's very, very different. You know, it, the resources aren't there, the different functional expertise may not be there and you're trying really hard, you're running really hard to grow and to put all those things in place that you remember uh, from all of your corporate experience, you know, and at that point, you know, I probably had 20 years of experience um, working at uh, in a variety of companies in the Valley. And, um, and so it was really at that three year mark where kind of I took stock. Interestingly, when I talked to our, our board and our advisors and talked to my wife, um, they all said, keep going. You know, you've hit the three-year mark, uh, which is a really important milestone. It's what you wanted to do. You, you've got clients. Yeah, you may not have as many as you want. You, you've got staff there that are, that are staying and that are excited about what you're doing. Um, so I was really counseled to, 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 to keep going. But... It was really at that three-year mark to answer your question, where I said, uh, "I think I'm, I think I'm burned out." What did you either expect differently at that three-year mark, um, or you know, what did you? Is there anything that would have been different that you would have said, "Okay, yes, let's keep going"? Yeah. Well, what I had tried to do was bring on um, managers, so I tried to bring in kind of like director-level people, even VP-level folks. Um, that could come in and help with things like client management, uh, deliverables management, right? Staff management. Um, and we tried a couple of, couple of folks. Um, but you know, when you're a small agency and you know, you're, you really have to think very entrepreneurial, you know, you have to be extremely flexible and elastic in your approach and, um, it's tough to find folks um, uh, that, you know, if, if they haven't been entrepreneurs, if they don't have the entrepreneurial mindset, it can be very difficult uh, for folks to kind of come in and have to bear additional perhaps responsibilities or work in a very different way than, than what they're used to. You know, and so that, that was a, that was the things that I was trying to do to augment our operations uh, because I was starting to feel like, you know, I can't, I can't be doing all of these things, you know, that's just not scalable. So was it that, I guess you didn't accomplish, I don't, well, you know, had you found the right people that may have taken a lot off your plate, do you think that would have, you would have kept going? I think that would have helped. Um, because, you know, being, being an entrepreneur in an agency where it's a very flat organization, um, it, it's both burdensome and, you know, I'll be honest, it's very lonely. Um, you, know, you, you, you spend a lot of time uh, thinking about major decisions on your own. 
Um, and, um, and you, and you, at that point, you also don't know how to use your board. You don't know how to use your advisors effectively. Um, and that was certainly the case for me. You know, I didn't, even though I was having regular meetings, um, you know, I, I wasn't at a point where I could actually share some of the, the burdens, you know, psychological, emotional that you're going through. Um, you know, you, let's say you lose a client, which we did, right? It's um, a big client or a client doesn't renew for whatever reason because they've decided to go a different route. You know, that takes a toll on you. How do you share that? You know, and, and the right thing to do as entrepreneurs learn, uh, and I'm learning on my second uh, venture now, is that you have to share that. You have to share the good, uh, as, as my parents would always say, and you have to share the bad. Um, and it kind of relieve, relieves that burden. Last question on this, I promise, uh, and maybe you've already kind of answered it um, already, but, you know, do you have any ways of avoiding now burnouts um, in your next venture? Yes, yes. So, so many ways, let me tell you, so many ways. Um, I will say that one of the things that I've gotten uh, much better at is that, especially at the start of a venture, um, to not... One of the things that, that I do is I don't spend all of my time on that venture. So I spend 50% of my time on the venture when I started off. What that allowed me to do was not get so fixated when things weren't moving as fast as I wanted to, them to or move in the direction that I wanted them to. So, um, so kind of constraining how much of your life the venture takes on has been a, a really good solution for me. Um, uh, you know, somebody uh, very close to me calls it a life hack, you know, that I've personally figured out how to continue life while I'm starting up this new project. So so that's really big. Um, that's been a really big thing for me. The second thing is um, I've set my expectations differently. You know, when when you come out of a company that's already established, it's got infrastructure, it's got people. You immediately think that's where you need to go. So my first venture, um, you know, a barometer for me, a key indicator for success was how many staff did we have? And were we able to kind of support that staff? And um, now I've got an entirely different, uh, you know, indicator that I use, um, which is, you know, really just more in terms of how many new clients do we want to bring on? Um, and I'm, I'm looking at that more as a, as a marker of success. Um, and also, you know, in the post-pandemic era that we're all working in, um, you don't need physical infrastructure anymore. And you'd be surprised at how, how, how kind of difficult it can be to kind of come into a physical office every day um, and kind of have to, um, you, know, you know, be the... The, the, the face of joy and success uh, for your team. Uh, you know, you have to be on all the time. Um, the really nice thing about having a, a virtual company now um, is that, you know, you, you can have video calls with folks and you can, you can be on during those video calls. But then other times, you don't always have to be on. You know, you can relax. You can go take a walk, go have a cup of coffee at the local cafe and talk to some other entrepreneurs, you know, that are going through, you know, similar things. Um, so that, interestingly, has kind of alleviated some of the burden. Very interesting. Are, are there any other metrics that you used to put a lot of weight into that now seems more like a vanity metric? I, I don't know yeah. if that's necessarily what you were saying about the employees, but, but maybe yeah. it is 
So can you kind of expand that? And is there any other metrics that maybe, you know, an early stage start, someone that's just starting their marketing agency, they're putting a lot of weight into this one metric and, and you've kind of identified that as a vanity metric now? You know, I think that's that's a really good thing to call it a vanity metric because we think these metrics become important for us and they're really not. I'll tell you another metric that I don't really care about now is revenue because, you know, the thing that business people know is that it takes time to build a business and it takes time because, you know, it takes time for your brand to get out there, for people to kind of kick the tires, to come to your website, to hear about you. Um, sometimes clients have to go back and kind of experience the pain themselves a little bit. And then they come back and say, you know, we'd like to talk to you about this. We've tried to do it ourselves and it didn't work. So the revenue will come, you know, and the other infrastructure will come. But if you fixate too much on that, then you become all about growth as opposed to sustainability. So the thing that I think about now is, okay, how many clients do I want to get in a year? You know, I don't even think about the, the value, the size of the client. Because what I'm thinking now is, okay, I want to get three clients in a year. I then want to sp- uh, spend the, the requisite amount of time, energy, and resources to make those clients happy so that in the following year, all three clients come with us and then we'll add three more clients. Um, and so, you know, as a, as a business person now who's kind of getting seasoned in this, in this area of starting businesses, it really is about customer success and customer satisfaction that I'm most focused on. And not on revenue, not on the number of employees, not even on profitability, you know, because if you can break even, um, you know, year over year um, and as you get more clients, well, then you'll scale and your margins, even if they stay at the same percentage, will, you know, throw off more cash that allow you to do things like invest or hire more people if you want, you know, things like that. That was great. Um, You know, I think. I think, you know, things like taking the wrong customer just because you want that revenue, uh, which on this podcast we've heard numerous times, you know, does not end up well, even though when you're, you know, itching and scratching in the beginning, you think that every dollar is something you have to take. Um, and, you know, I, I wish I had the stats on this, but at the end of the day, it's easier to keep a client than to find a new client. Um, so I think that's kind of a little bit in your answer as well. Um I want to go back to your CMO days um, since you've mentioned it a few times. And the question there is, what do you think is the biggest learning curve from, you know, going from a CMO to starting your own agency? Yeah. You know, there, there are several, uh, you know, um, that I can think about. CMO, particularly at a technology company, um, can, can sometimes become kind of a war of wills between a CMO and an the head of sales, chief revenue officer, whatever title you want to you want to get, you know, and it's because you know marketers sometimes feel like we're putting all this effort in, but it's not being recognized, right? And um, and especially because you know you, one of your key stakeholders in an organization is your sales department, you know, in marketing, and you get a lot of feedback from sales, you know, and marketers sometimes feel like, well, what does sales know about marketing, right? We we know what we're doing, we're kind of you know, putting all of these strategies in place and we're executing really well and look at all these leads that we've brought in. Um, but the, the, the thing that you have to recognize is the pressures that each one of the departments are under. And, and once you walk, as they say, you know, a mile in the other person's shoes, mm-hmm. uh, it really helps to clarify things and makes you, I think, a much more collaborative business person as you begin to kind of understand the the complexity of kind of what's involved with running the organization. So, and I would say that 
you know, the more time you spend in the seat as a CMO, you do begin to kind of understand that. But when you start an agency, it's like you understand it day one. You know, the importance of uh, prioritizing what marketing is doing, you know, and um, prioritizing it both in terms of executing the strategy of the organization, you know, because marketing is about more than just leads, but also making sure that that revenue attainment, you know, is really kind of uh, one of the core metrics that you're measuring yourself on, uh, that you are being very transparent about and really collaborating um, with, with your vice president of sales. You know, because the very interesting thing here is that um, your uh, clients now uh, are, you know, really, really tough. You know, they've got goals and sometimes you're not even privy to all of the goals that, that they're being measured on. And so you have to very quickly understand what does your client need from you, you know? So in our case, it's StoryAZ Studio, right? We are, we are a content marketing agency, so we're developing content. But it's really important for, under, for us to understand, well, how are our clients using that content? Um, and how are they going to measure the success of it? Um, you know, the contract might say you're going to generate X number of pieces. Um, but maybe what the client is really interested in is in something different. You know, how much traffic does that piece get? Or what does the sales organization say about the content that you've written? Or um, does the CEO like the thought leadership pieces that you're, that you're writing for her? Um, so I think you become smarter as an agency or owner to very quickly partner with your client and begin to really understand what their metrics are that they care about. I love that. I want to double click on that a little bit. Um, you know, obviously, or I shouldn't say obviously, but, but, you know, things like marketing and sales and advertising and biz dev and client success, they're all in the same boat, but it's a very big boat that sometimes they don't even need to talk to each other. Obviously, it's therefore, it's more beneficial to, to talk to each other. Um, so I guess, do you have any kind of like best practices or any ways of making sure that those aren't siloed and, and really talking and working together properly? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, having shared metrics is really important. And, mm. um, you know, and one of the things that I've done is create kind of a, a tree, if you will, kind of like a organizational hierarchy tree or information architecture for a website. And at the very top is what's the key metric. And then what are the components of that metric? Um, and if you take a, a, a look at a metric such as revenue or profitability, there are various components of that. So profitability has a component of cost. Uh, it has a component of margin. Uh, it has a, a, a component of revenue, um, of recurring revenue even. And each, each department or each person on the team uh, is directly responsible for the expense piece of it or the margin piece of it, you know. Um, uh, and if, if each person on your executive team or your managers, they can kind of understand what they're plugging into, it'll help them. But it's not the only metric you measure them on, right? Because you don't want um, your, uh, you know, your, your sales organization uh, just worried about revenue uh, or just worried about margin, right? It, it has to be both of those. It has to be the quality of the business in addition to the quantity of the business. Um, and I think that 
with those components in place and kind of rolling up to the way that the, the agency will be successful, I think that that, uh, that really helps folks so they know how they're contributing. And then, of course, you know, if you've got um, folks on the team that are there for the, for, the, for the right reasons that are aligned with the organization, right, that becomes really important. So uh, if you have folks that, are, that really want to kind of help build something, um, they're going to be looking a little bit more medium to long term. Um, so any incentives that you have in place have to very much align with the overall mission and direction of the agency. I, I love that. Now I will uh, actually take a few steps back. We kept going deeper and deeper, and it was great, uh, and, and I loved it. I'll take now a few, a couple steps back, and can you just tell us a little bit more about your agency uh, and how it started? Yeah. Um, so I, I seem to be kind of, uh, I seem to have this pattern, right? So I was um, CMO at an organization, and I was kind of coming out of that organization, and um, uh, I had this epiphany. Uh, it was literally, I wasn't actively thinking about it, but the epiphany that I had was uh, that um, the, the challenge that companies are presented with today is that there's, there's a lot of disintermediation happening. And I borrowed this term for, from, from financial services. And the idea of disintermediation is that um, there used to be like a middle layer that helped translate technology, products, and services through reviews, through interviewing companies, through publishing articles about companies. And we all know what's happened, happened to the media landscape over the last two decades. You know, there's less media outlets. Um, there's less print publications. Everything has gone digital. Um, people's attention spans are less than they used to be in terms of consuming information. Um, um, so companies now have to get into the business of actually directly speaking to their prospective customers about their products and services. Where before, maybe, you know, Business Week could do it for you, right? Um, or a particular vertical trade magazine could do it for you. CIO magazine or, you know, PC Week, you know, you name it. A lot of in organ publications that have really uh, lost their, their viewership over time. Um, however, uh, the buyer journey has fundamentally changed. Um, so there's some uh, really good data out. Uh, we've actually written about this uh, at our website that shows that B2B companies are doing a lot of research to develop a short list for vendors that they'll evaluate even before they call the vendor. So the companies uh, put a project team in place. The project team goes out and does research. Uh, and they do a variety of research. Uh, uh, they um, sometimes look at uh, analyst reports. You know, they'll certainly do that. Um, but they also go to the company's website. And they say, well, what is this company saying about its own products and services? How easy is it to use this product and service? You know, um, are there white papers? Are there brochures? Are there testimonials? Or what we call social proof on the website? Um, they'll then go to other third-party sites and say, what are folks saying about this company's products or services? Um, so that's all happening uh, without the company ever being involved with a direct conversation with the pr prospective customer. 
However, that company is involved in terms of how they manage content surrounding their products and services. So on their website, you know, is, is this website navigable? Um, what kind of information do they have? Do they have case studies? Are they talking about what their onboarding process looks like for a complex technology product? Or is it just all features and functionality? And so, you know, understanding that, that, that buyer journey becomes really important. So both of these things together, the, the changing buyer journey and the disintermediation within the media landscape um, made me understand how complex the problem is uh, and why content marketing has become so, so important. But as a CMO, I know how difficult it is to create content. You know, staff are busy with so many things during the work week. Um, and writing, um, you know, Josh, in your business, you're a host, you go out and do research, you do editing, you understand kind of how much time it takes to do things with quality uh, in a thoughtful way. And to be able to write on brand with the right terminology, with the right deep insight that your clients will value, that your prospective customers will, will value, takes a lot of time. But how many companies can actually afford to have, you know, in our case, we've got over 10 writers that work with us. Um, how many companies can afford to have more than you know, one writer? Um, and how much can that writer actually produce? You know? So uh, that becomes a really, really big challenge, especially for a CMO that has to show you know, value uh, for programs, for investments that marketing is making right away, you know, a common stat that you you probably know of is you know the average CMOs in in the in the seat for twenty four months, you know, something like that on average. Um, that means that as soon as the CMO enters uh, an organization, um, you know, they have to hit the ground running, um, and and I think that uh, when we've gone out and talked to folks. Uh, what they've said is how difficult it is uh, to go and find a contractor and then kind of bring the contractor up to speed and kind of manage the contractor so-and-so. So anyway, that's a, a bit of a longer answer to your question about, you know, why, you know, did I think about starting StoryAZ? And uh, how did you guys get your first customer? We got our first customer because we we knew our, our, our client. Uh, we had worked with them. I'd worked with them before. So uh, there was a there was a personal connection there, and um, that allowed us to uh, tell them what we're doing. And they said, "Gosh, we actually need this uh, because it's um, you know the it, the the, um, the second customer is even more interesting." That you took you took my question right from me. <laughs> and I just, you know, first customer is good, but second customer is more important. So so run with it, please. Yeah. Well, the second customer came because um, you know. We, uh, I had a relationship with um, a digital agency, and the digital agency said, look, our number one problem in recognizing revenue on our projects is that we can't always deliver on content. And it's either because a client will say, yeah, 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 we've got the client covered, we've got the content covered, and we'll write it and deliver it to you. Um, you keep going forward with kind of building the, the new website, for example, or designing the website. What ends up happening is staff is really busy. So they can't get to the content. The content doesn't get done. Um, the project is stalled. Uh, at that point, you can't recognize revenue. Or 
the digital agency is working with one contractor or two contractors. Um, so, you know, what the head of the digital agency said to me was, look, if, if there was a professional uh, organization that does copywriting and content creation, that would be a huge positive for us, a huge gain. We'd be able to execute our projects. Uh, we'd be able to do it with quality. We'd, we'd uh, be able to recognize revenue. We'd be able to offer additional service lines to our clients. Um, so content is always the core of what marketing does. And that's how we got our second customer. Yeah, you're perfect. You, yeah, somehow you got into my brain there and, and knew, knew that question was coming. Uh, a few questions that I, I tend to ask a lot of the guests um, at the end. So the first one is, if you had to teach something to other marketers, what would it be? I think it would be the importance of building out a messaging architecture. And um, what exactly is messaging? You know, what are the components of messaging? Um, uh, and, it, you know, especially this idea of how do you position a company? You know, um, Josh, you and I were talking about, you know, should people go to business school? And, and you know, I'm, I'm a fan, right? I, I think people should. Um, maybe not at the undergraduate level, but certainly at the graduate level. If, 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 you're, if you're planning on wanting to be involved with business, of course, there's a lot of other professions out there as well. But, um, you know, if, if you go to business school, one of the things you, you learn about and you spend a lot of time is thinking about strategy. And you learn that there's essentially two ways that a business can compete. One way is through price. And that's a spiral for anybody who's trying to compete on price. You know, early in my career, I worked at a semiconductor company. And let me tell you, those prices eroded very quickly uh, when you're competing on price and there's nothing else to distinguish you. And that's for semiconductors, right? And you would think that there would be, there would be a lot of things you can distinguish, but at some point with a commodity, you can't. The second way um, is through um, you know, product service differentiation. And that is why you need to understand positioning and positioning is a part of messaging because if you can truly get to the core of what differentiates your products and service, well, then you've got a defensible competitive advantage in the marketplace that you can be very successful with as you scale up the organization. But what happens is that, um, a, you know, in, in, in many cases, it's difficult to figure out. It's one of the hard, hardest things to do, actually. Um, it's much easier to talk about promises of what the you know, technology does or the features, right, or the functionality. But it's very difficult to say, no, this is really where it differentiates us. And then you talk about the benefits to the customer from that point of differentiation. I, I love to where you took that. Um, are you guys hiring any positions right now? You know, we're always looking for good uh, writers. Uh, one of the things that distinguishes our writers is that they all have domain experience in one industry or sector. Um, so, you know, you've, you've worked in healthcare and you're also a great writer, you know, so that becomes really important because I think that that's how we offer value to our clients on day one, that we know the terminology, we've got insights. Of course, there's other things that we have to learn about the business and we do all of that, you know, on, on, on our own, but that domain expertise is, is really core to creating excellent content. 
And last question, uh, I I kind of got to this in the beginning a little bit. Any book or podcast recommendations that can be in marketing, business, it can be fiction, anything you want. Yeah, uh, great. I am. Um, I'll give you two if that's okay. I'm here for five if you want to, but two two works as well. Yeah. Um, so one is um, uh, the Seven Lives of um, uh, is it Marcus Alameda? It won the Booker Prize last year. Uh, it's a Sri Lankan author, and that's a it's a it's a piece of fiction. Obviously, it won the Booker. It's it's a it's a wonderful book. I'm reading it, is it right seven to- moons of my miley almeida that's it <laughs> that's exactly it i i'm uh you know three quarters through it uh but i've stepped away from it a little while that's why the the title has not stuck in my head but that's a great book i recommend that and then the other book that i recommend is um a nonfiction <laughs> book um and this is this book is called the master and his emissary and it's by ian mcgilchrist it's one of the most fascinating books I've ever read. And it is about um, really oh. the right brain, left brain um, dialogue and even conflict that has been going on, um, you know, in us for millennia. But there are things that have caused that conflict to accelerate recently. And I would argue that chat GPT is one of those. <laughs> and uh, Ian McGillchrist takes both a um, kind of a scientific approach to it, as well as kind of a, a psychoanalytic, psychological approach, a, a social approach to it. And he really talks about what's happening to us as, as you know, as organisms, as beings. Um, and really some of the things that in our modern technological society, we are beginning to compromise that has really profound consequences. That's interesting. Uh, I'm currently in the middle of Sapiens. I don't know if you've read that. And, uh, my number one podcast that I'm listening to right now is Huberman. So that almost seems like a, a Sapiens meets Huberman, uh, type book. So, uh, you got, you got me on that one. That is, that is very, very interesting. Um, as we come up to the end of the episode, I just want to give you an opportunity to mention how people can find you uh, and anything else you'd like to end with. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Josh. Um, so our website is storyaz.studio. Um, you come and you know, learn about us, learn about the content uh, marketing that we do there. Uh, you can schedule a meeting directly on the website. You can also you know, uh, send us an email through the website uh, very, very, very easy. And uh, you know, we'd love to talk to anybody about projects or needs that they have. Um, it doesn't matter how small or large. Um, we uh, would be happy to talk to potential folks. Awesome, Ren. Uh, this was, I thought this was, anytime we go over the 30-minute mark on the call alone, it's usually because it's a very good call. And I, and I think this one definitely was. Um, so for those of you who learned something new on this episode, please consider giving us a like or a follow so we can continue getting the highest quality of guests. Uh, And always thank you for listening. Thank you again, Ren. Thank you, Josh. Thanks for listening to the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I just want to thank our sponsors, DevNoodle. 
DevNoodle provides marketing agencies with the ability to offer their clients unlimited website design, build, and management services with fixed monthly plans. If website design, development, and maintenance is holding your agency back from growing, please reach out to us at devnoodle.com, where we make websites easy, easy for you and easy for your clients, devnoodle.com.